Welcome, fellow plebs. My name is Sean, and this is Tribunus Plebis. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, the Supreme Court has had a little run lately, hasn't it? A run of destroying freedom and liberty in the United States. Am I right here, folks? Let me just start this by saying that the Supreme Court is pretty fucked up. It's pretty corrupt. It's all political nonsense. And it has really shown its ass this year in a way that I don't think we've ever seen before. But, you know, I could be wrong about that. I'm no scholar. Unelected lifetime positions, appointed by dumbasses, it's a recipe for disaster. And please spare me the RBG crap. She sucked too. If she was a decent human being, she'd have retired a long time ago, way before she died in office, and her callers were kind of ugly. Don't like hearing that? Well, I don't like you putting assholes like her on pedestals. So there. I dissent. Well, woo. Who cares? She should have chosen to not die on the bench, okay? Again, I know you might not like hearing that, but you need to really understand that these people are not heroes. It's super important that we start to actually understand this. So these people, all of them ideologues and activists and all of them politically motivated, they're all bad people. And their nominations and hearings and, you know, the Senate vote and all that crap, it's all political as well. In fact, and especially on the conservative side, there exists this thing called the Federalist Society, which I believe I've talked about before, but which literally recruits law students, follows their careers, helps them advance, and quietly, steadily, and surely pushes them and moves them into powerful political clerking, and judicial positions, all with the explicit aim of getting these dorks onto federal benches and eventually, some of them, onto the Supreme Court itself. It's a straight-up feeder system that all conservative politicians are slavishly devoted to. These justices are political creatures, not impartial gods. Treat them as such, even the ones you want to like. The entire institution has become illegitimate in my eyes, but I don't want to, you know, do that full episode right now. Maybe I'll do it soon, though. And, you know, before we go on, I just want to admit something. This episode definitely is not as well-researched as most of the stuff I put out. Normally, I'd be a little more prepared here, but in this case, I feel like the overall point, you know, the overall gist of everything that I'm talking about That is a little bit more important than, you know, what I hope might be relatively minor errors, especially in how I'm explaining things. So I'm just going to dive in here and shoot from the hip a bit more than usual. So please forgive me for whatever doesn't quite go right. Okay. Here is a few of the decisions over the past couple of weeks, most of them dropping a couple of days ago. And I'm just going to list the, you know, the cases in a very brief summary of each, and then we will discuss them all a little bit later on. First up is, of course, 
Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, which is the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Then we have Egbert versus Bull, which concerns the ability of federal agents to violate our rights near the border. Next is Vega versus Teco, which limits the ability of a citizen to sue for violations of their Miranda rights. We also got New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, which makes it easier to obtain a license to conceal carry firearms in numerous states. Lastly, we saw the uh, decision in Johnson v. Or... Uh, you know, I don't know how to say this name. Uh, Artiaga Martinez. Johnson versus Artiaga Martinez which allows the United States to detain non-citizens for indefinite detention without bond hearings, which essentially means that they can lock them in prison forever if they choose to. So that's, you know, quite a lot for a two-week span. So let's hit them up one by one. And let's start with Dobbs in the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the potential downstream effects on our lives and our freedoms. We addressed this already in episode 51, a couple episodes back, when we had the leaked draft decision and went relatively in-depth there, so I'm not going to rehash it all here, and you know I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes, but the Supreme Court just released their official decision, and it's just as dark in the eviscerating of Roe as it appeared in that leak. Roe versus Wade is now dead and overturned. So, you know, let let me repeat a few things from that episode before moving on. This is about controlling women's bodies, forcing them to carry babies that they don't want, forcing them to breed to save Western civilization or, you know, whatever crackpot hate conspiracy these loser dorks are currently brewing up, and also about ginning up votes as a secondary effect. And the result is that it will endanger women's lives, and these people know that, and they don't care. And the ones most affected by this decision will be the poorest and the most vulnerable women in the country, minorities, the poor, and the LGBTQ people. So now listen. Roe versus Wade, it no longer exists. It was completely overthrown by the argument that the basis of that case, an argument based on the 14th Amendment uh, and it, the right to privacy that it uh, provides us, that that decision was wrong. And this technical reason is super important going forward. But before we go on, I do want to say that this decision is, you know, it's just very sad and scary from the outside looking in. And I can't even imagine for all the women out there who, you know, this obviously more directly affects. So while I don't want to repeat my last episode on this, and I'm going to move forward a bit, Let's not stop fighting and being outraged and doing what we can to hold these creeps responsible. I'm not saying to, you know, go out there and sharpen your pitchforks and manufacture torches. I'm just saying that there are currently YouTube tutorials out there for these things, which are free to access, and the materials for these things are super cheap. So the 14th Amendment argument. Essentially, in the Roe case, the court decided that preventing people from getting an abortion violated the 14th Amendment's privacy clause, and therefore, 
the rights of the person seeking an abortion. This made abortion legal across the country. And it's been under attack for, you know, 40, 50 years. In the recent Dobbs case, the Supreme Court ruled, according to Justice Scalia, that the decision was, quote, egregiously wrong from the start, end quote. And he went on to further say that its reasoning was, quote unquote, exceptionally weak. Basically, the majority of justices decided that the 14th Amendment does not, in fact, cover abortion. This is important to repeat. They decided that using the 14th Amendment as the foundation of Roe v. Wade was not just less than perfect or something, or that it had its problems, but rather that it was egregiously wrong and exceptionally weak. And here's why this is so important to Grok. And I'll quote from another majority justice here, the sex pest, allegedly, Clarence Thomas. From his own written decision, quote, In future cases, we should reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell, end quote. He said that they should reconsider Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell which is basically an invitation for a bunch of bigots in Republican-controlled states to draft and pass new laws which go against those three decisions so that Thomas and the other right-wing ideological ghouls on the Supreme Court can overturn them one by one. Here are the cases that those names are attached to. Griswold v. Connecticut That was a 1965 case which ruled that married couples have a right to access contraceptives. Lawrence v. Texas says that states could not outlaw consensual gay sex. And Obergefell v. Hodges was the case which established the right to same-sex marriage. Thomas is inviting bigots to challenge these rulings, putting the right to use contraceptives the right to engage in sexual intercourse with anyone you choose to, and the right to marry whoever you may choose in danger. This is incredibly dangerous territory. Contraception, consensual sex, and same-sex marriage are all now under direct attack. Freedom, right? And I want to address something that, you know, people have been arguing, and that is that it is the left's fault because they did not vote in record numbers for Hillary Clinton. And my first response to that will probably set a few of my friends' hair on fire, but those people are, you know, correct. I mean, let's be real. But what this argument misses is a key issue, and that issue is that the political establishment should never feel like they are entitled to your vote. They should have to work for it. They should earn it. I'd go so far as to say that if the Democratic Party truly wanted to get the political left to vote in high numbers, then they wouldn't run a conservative candidate who the left of this country universally despises. Additionally, I'd wager that a large majority of leftists I know would have gladly voted for Bernie Sanders in that same election, and they would have donated and volunteered all along the way. Because see, here's the thing. If we are taking, you know, electoral politics at all seriously, 
And I think we should take it at least, you know, probably semi-seriously, to be honest, then it is up to the person running to convince people to vote for them. If they can't convince enough people to vote for them, then they lose. This is what happened to Clinton. She wasn't abandoned by anybody, let alone young progressive voters or even, you know, the more centrist types. She abandoned them. She couldn't draw them in. She couldn't convince them to vote for her. And that difference might seem subtle at first, but it is anything but that. And if anybody's interested in a, you know, a longer format episode that addresses this in the blue no matter who phenomenon, you could go right back to episode one of this very podcast to hear my full thoughts on the topic. And hey, hello, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are, please just take a quick second to like and subscribe and click that little bell down there. It really helps out with, you know, helping you see more of these episodes and also helps out in the algorithms so more people find us. In addition, if you find real value in these episodes, please consider helping us turn our passion and effort into something tangible by visiting our Buy Me a Coffee page and making either a one-time donation or signing up for a monthly subscription. It's super cheap, guys. That's buymeacoffee.com slash Media. Also, consider leaving a nice review on Apple. It really goes a long way to helping more people find the podcast. And, you know, there will be links to everything in the show notes as well. Thank you. And now, back to the episode. Okay, now let's talk about Egbert v. Boole and Vega v. Teco. And I'm going to give a thumbnail sketch of what, you know, both of these cases argued and then explain why I'm lumping them together. Egbert dealt with the ability to sue federal agents along the border who violate people's rights. And I don't want to get too into the weeds here. It gets a little bit complicated, but I'm going to get in there a little bit. Essentially, there is a 100-mile buffer zone around the border of our country. You know, I'll uh, drop a photo in the YouTube version so you can see this. But basically, if an agent is within 100 miles of either coast or, you know, either the north or south border, then they get extra rights regarding search and seizure issues. Within 25 miles of the border, these rights get even more permissive. And one of the most common uh, implementations, I guess, of this uh, these expanded rights is the stopping and searching of buses in the border zone. Agents are allowed to stop buses and to search them for undocumented immigrants with no probable cause, as an example. And within this zone, agents are allowed to demand IDs and immigration papers, also with no probable cause. So that's, you know, kind of part one. Part two regards a previous case called Bivens versus unnamed federal agents. The Bivens case ruled that citizens who had their rights violated by agents could sue those agents individually and even be compensated by those agents. So the first part, the part about the zone and, you know, the immigration, that led to this man, Boole, being assaulted by an agent in this border zone while the agent was trying to get papers from a guest at Boole's house in Washington state. And his case related uh, to him suing the agent who assaulted him. The Supreme Court ruled that the federal agents in this zone are effectively immune from being sued under the Bivens statute. 
A lot of people are saying that, you know, now agents can search homes without warrants and arrest people for no reason legally because of this ruling. But I feel like that's a dishonest interpretation, to be honest. And, you know, I'll explain why after I talk about the Vega case, because it's sort of related. So the Vega case itself was about Miranda rights. Basically, what happened is an officer failed to read the Miranda rights to a man named Teco, who they were interviewing during an investigation at a hospital. Teco supposedly admitted guilt under questioning and signed a confession. When the case went to trial, Teco's lawyer argued that because Officer Vega failed to read his Miranda rights, that Teco's constitutional right to not incriminate himself under the Fifth Amendment was violated and he sued the officer. The court decided that because Teco was not technically under arrest at the time or detained, then Miranda was out the window, which, you know, I think is obviously nonsense in this case. The key finding here, as far as I'm concerned, is that the court ruling effectively grants police officers immunity from being held accountable for violating the rights of people who they arrest in the future by not reading them their Miranda rights. The end result being that the citizen whose rights have been violated cannot sue the officer for redress. And here, too, there is an argument going around that this means that officers no longer need to Mirandize a suspect. Just like they say that the previous case allows ICE agents to, you know, ransack homes with no just cause. And this isn't quite right either, though. And so why did I lump these two together? Some of you probably see it if I explained it well enough, and I'm sorry if I didn't. These legal rulings are, you know, they're kind of Byzantine, to me at least, and I'm doing my best to sort of boil it down. But basically, both of these cases make it impossible to sue officers of the law and federal agents for certain breaches of our rights. And so I just want to go back to... uh you know, what I consider the false arguments, I guess, of commentators that they're making about ICE agents gone mad and Miranda no longer existing and stuff. It's not that agents can search your home for no reason or that police no longer need to Mirandize you. Agents cannot, in fact, just search your home, at least from a legal view, if you're within 100 miles of the border. And no, police still have to Mirandize you when they arrest you. What these rulings do is they remove any way for a citizen to sue for redress for these rights violations. Basically, it means that these agents and cops can violate our rights and never be sued, to never be held accountable for their actions. It effectively removes one of the largest possible deterrents for these agents to not violate our rights in these circumstances. It's a sort of tacit allowance of constitutional rights violations because there is no possible punishment. And the reason why I, you know, kind of disagree with those more hyperbolic interpretations of this, that an agent can just, you know, search your house for no reason, is that, you know, they can't, not legally. And if they do, evidence they find can be thrown out of court and so on. So that part still lives on, at least for now. But you can no longer sue them or get compensated for rights violations in these circumstances. And to me, the biggest danger here is the harassment and violence like Bull experienced. 
or just, you know, harassment, unlawful sweeps, an extension of this sort of edict to protect cops into, you know, maybe how they behave, um, you know, so violently at protests as well, stuff like that. And the ruling did leave open the ability of a citizen to file a complaint or a grievance with the agency that these cops work for, but those complaints will be investigated by other cops, other agents. In addition to all of that, the judgment says that no court and no other agency can review a law enforcement officer's decision to exonerate a fellow officer in these cases. Dangerous grounds indeed. All right, let's hit, uh, let's do Johnson v. Arteaga Martinez. The Johnson case concerned indefinite incarceration of non-citizens by the federal government with no bond hearings, which could potentially free the prisoner. Basically, the Supreme Court just said that the government can imprison non-citizens forever if it chooses to, and that's that. Further, the court said that immigrants cannot seek injunctions to stop illegal detention or challenge deportation practices as class actions. Basically, they are left helpless to the whims of the government here. Nobody should ever be treated this way, citizen or not. Indefinite detention is immoral, cruel, violent, and should never be allowed for any reason at all. In addition, it should be fucking illegal. Every human being deserves at least some level of basic access to the ability to make their presence known, to challenge their incarceration, to legal advice, counsel, and representation in the court of law. Wait, is, oh, is that the sound of freedom I hear? An eagle's cry as it soars over Wyoming prairies? Oh, no, no, no. That's the sound of jackboots marching in time down our streets. Awesome. Now the last case. New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin. The gun case, I'll call it. The gun case concerned concealed carry rules in New York State. In this case, the court struck down New York's rules for concealed carry. Basically, the court said that a state cannot demand in, you know, any sort of means testing for a concealed carry permit. In other words, citizens no longer have to show an extraordinary need to carry a weapon with them like they previously would have had to. So in New York, someone may have been forced to argue for the permit. Like, you know, by arguing that they routinely carried large amounts of cash or had, um, like legitimate safety fear for some reason before they would be granted a concealed carry license. The Supreme Court's ruling eliminated, as far as I understand it, any of these means tests from existing all across the country. So once a person is licensed to own a gun, if they live in a state requiring a license, then they do not need to provide any sort of proof that they require or need a concealed carry permit. They just need to fulfill any other, you know, prerequisites to get it. So a state could still demand, say, an extra training class and a fee, but they can no longer ask for a reason for the permit. Effectively, 
This just makes it a lot easier to get a concealed carry permit and is part of a concerted national effort towards what is called constitutional carry laws, which is basically a fancy way of saying any law-abiding citizen who can afford to buy a gun should never be restricted in any way from owning or carrying weapons with them. This one, this, you know, this judgment, this one I'm honestly kind of mixed on. I'm generally a pro-gun person. Generally. I kind of go back and forth with gun stuff. You know, I'm fine with licenses and the like. I'm good with training requirements, stuff like that. Wait periods, even. But also, you know, I feel like we should be able to own firearms relatively freely. I you know, I don't know. I, I know I can be all over the place with this issue. I grew up with guns. I've shot damn near every kind of gun there is from, you know, like a muzzle-loading musket to a belt-fed machine gun and from a BB gun to an Uzi. But there's just this, like, anxiety, something like that, that, you know, that bills like this just bring out of me. And really, when I think about what this last judgment really inspires in me is that I now want to buy a gun more than I ever have before in my life, because I know that the people who scare me, the people who want to hurt me for, you know, not hating foreigners or for not hating Arabs and the bigoted pieces of shit who might want to hurt my wife just because she looks a little different. They're definitely going to be carrying guns with them now. The same people who, you know, want your child's genitals to be inspected against their will. And yes, that's actually a new law that was passed in Ohio last week. Um, you know, that your for- that your kid can be forced to be fondled by an adult if some dumb shit in the bleachers thinks your kid doesn't look like the gender they are. And, you know, I'll cover that next episode. But those same people who want that law to exist, those people will have guns on their hips, and they'll be more than happy to shoot you for defending that child's right to play a child's game. And while I know that, you know, an arms race is fucking stupid, it also might just be necessary to protect me and mine. I don't want chud dork fucks out there to be the only people with guns in this country. And when you add all of this together... This country is in deep trouble. Deep, deep trouble. The overthrow of Roe versus Wade is obviously the most visible and most nationally upsetting ruling of all of these. But I wanted to run these other decisions down a little bit to show that these less well-known and less publicized and less discussed cases are problems in and of themselves and that they're quietly sliding by with very little critical discussion. And I'm not a legal expert, but I did my best here to give you, you know, the rough outlines at least of what's going on and what it means going forward. And I hope that it wasn't too confusing. And I really hope that it will at least give you a basic understanding, a basic amount of knowledge on these cases, and maybe even lead you into looking into not just these rulings, but to even peruse the Supreme Court's other rulings. You know, you on the website, you can go right through them all. You can even find lists of upcoming rulings as well, you know, to stay ahead of the game. And so as we fade out of this episode, let's sum it up. 
Right to abortion? Gone. Ability of cops to violate your rights with no punishment? Granted. Indefinite detention? Hells yeah, this is America. Guns under every jacket? Fuck yeah, brother. Less freedom, less safe, less liberty. I'm fucking disgusted, frankly. And that, my friends, is the end of the episode. And if you like this episode, please like, subscribe, comment, get in the conversation. Um, Like us wherever you are. Follow if you're listening to the podcast. Leave a review on Apple if you can. Uh, Please consider donating to us on our Buy Me a Coffee page. The show notes, wherever you're listening, will contain links to everything that I've mentioned. Thank you, guys. Peace out. I love you.